Revelation 21, 5 through 8. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, so, so glad that you are here. Uh, thanks for coming. Welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. Uh, last week uh, was a blast. Uh, the outdoor service, everybody in the soccer field, I love having all of us there all at once. And I just want to tell you, I feel like God is doing something special here at our church right now. I hope you feel the same way. Uh, don't miss it. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, but seriously, don't miss it, right? All right, this is the uh, second week of our four-week series where we're looking in the book of Revelation. It's a series that we are focusing on hope. Right, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It was written by the last uh, living apostle. Right? All the other apostles, it's the apostle John, all the other apostles are dead. They've all been murdered, by the way. Like, I know very few people who have been murdered. John's 10 closest friends, including his brother, have been murdered. Revelation is a gift from God to John, to the Christians of the first century who were going through unspeakable suffering, and it's a gift to each one of us. If you're like me, there are times when I have a, a longing deep down in my soul. It's almost like an ache. It can happen at really good times, very sweet times that I want to continue. Like uh, last night, my wife and I were babysitting our youngest grandson, Ezekiel. He's almost two. And we were watching uh, like Planet Earth, that show, and there are all these animals and everything. And Ezekiel was standing, I was sitting on the couch, he was standing next to me with his arm on my shoulder and just watching. And I was thinking, man, this is one of those moments where I just didn't want it to end, right? Then we had to put him to bed and man, did it end, right? <laughs> more, often, more often that ache happens when there's some kind of hurt inside of me. It's probably true of you, right? And, and I long for a time when there is no hurt and no pain on the horizon. And that's what John gives us. That's the vision that God gives John, not just of how human history will end, but of the world that we all long for, that we want. 
The first century Christians are, uh, they are hanging on by a thread. Right? There is widespread persecution. They're being rounded up, thrown into prison, beaten, killed. What does John give them to help them face the hardness of life? He gives them this, a new heaven and a new earth. How do you face the hardness of life with peace and poise? The answer is hope. This hope. Okay, this is the first big truth I'm going to give you today. Uh, if you forget everything else, don't forget this. You are a hope-shaped creature. All human beings are. You are shaped by hope. This is what I mean. Your present, how you experience today, is determined in large part by what you think is going to happen, what the future holds. Uh, there's a Holocaust survivor named Elie Wiesel. Ellie wrote a book called Night. It's uh, about his experience in the concentration camp in Germany. It's a very, very hard book to read. Right? In it, he talks about why some people survived and some people didn't in the concentration camp. And he, he said when he would see someone and they had lost hope, he knew they were going to die. That they were just going to shrivel up and they would die within days. Because hope, they are shaped, we are shaped by hope. That's true of you. If I were to put you in a room, like a little drab room, and I were to give you a task that was like a very tedious, mind-numbing, repetitive task to do, and I said, you need to do this 10 hours a day, right? Five days a week, 10 hours a day. And at the end of a year, I'll give you a check for $20,000. How long do you think you'd last? Not very long. A few days, a couple of weeks, and then finally I would... I would open the door and you go, I'm done. I can't take this anymore, right? It's impossible. Nobody could do this. But if I put you in the same drab room, gave you the same tedious task, mind-numbing, repetitive task, and I said, at the end of a year, I'm going to give you a check for $20 million, I would open the door, you'd be whistling while you worked. <laughs> Why? You are a hope-shaped creature. Here's a question. What do you really think is going to happen when you die? It matters. What do you really think heaven is going to be like? Oh, it matters. That's why we're doing this series. For some of you, this is going to be the most important series of this year. Because life is that hard for you right now. For some of you, it's going to be the most important series of the year because life will get hard. You just don't know it yet. So that's why I'm going to ask you to go all in with this series, which means that don't miss a week. If you miss a week, go back and listen to it. But we're also going to ask you to do something that we've never asked you to do before. The last week of the series, August 20th to 27th, we're going to ask you to go on a news fast. We want you to not watch any news, not get on social media for a whole week. And what we're going to try to do is keep you from looking down at the present of what ha is happening now and instead look with hope on what's going to happen. And to do that, what we want you to do is to sign up to receive a text from the church. And you'll receive the text every day of that week just reminding you of the hope that you have and what is coming. Right, and to do that, you just write... Uh, news fast, 
Text NEWSFAST to 55498. You can do it now. You can wait as we get closer. All right. Now it's time to look at the passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21. It's at the very end of the Bible. Uh, If you're going to use one of our Bibles here in the sanctuary over in East Hall, you can just open the back flap and go that way, or it's on page 977. Page 977. Listen, if you are not familiar uh, with the Bible, you should know that every Bible comes with the table of contents. So if somebody names a, a book of the Bible, you don't know where it is, just turn to the table of contents. It'll give you a number. You can act like you know where a lot of us use this. All right. So just use the table of contents. All right, we had the verses read to you, but there are only four verses, so let me read them again. This is Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 through 8. That's what it says. And he was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I think uh, John is giving uh, three things telling us three things about what heaven is like. And so these are my three points I want to pull out. He's saying heaven is a place where all brokenness will one day be fully healed. All brokenness will one day be fully healed. Heaven is a place where all thirst will one day be fully quenched. All thirst will one day be fully quenched. And finally, heaven is a place where all evil will finally be fully judged. Evil will finally be fully judged. All right, first, all brokenness will finally fully be healed. This is verse 5. And he was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. When he says, uh, Things will be, all things will be made new, the Bible has a, a word for that. It's the Greek word palingenesia. I love that word. It means the restoration and renewal of all things. That everything will be restored perfectly. And I don't even know if I can imagine what it's like for all the brokenness inside of me and of our world to be healed. And this is what I mean. I grew up playing basketball. You know, I played basketball all the way through high school and college. Played basketball every day, all day. And when I was a freshman in college, at the end of my freshman year, uh, I injured my knee. I tore some cartilage. And back then, they just would open you up, take out the cartilage. It was like the Stone Age. And they, uh, they said to me, listen, when you get older, you're going to have arthritis. But when you're 19, you think old is like super old. And when I was 31, I went into an orthopedist to get my knee cleaned up because it was making noises and it was swelling up more than normal. So I went in and the orthopedist told me, he said, Joe, you're a chronic knee abuser. Like I was purposely abusing my knee. And then he said this, Joe, you don't know. A knee is not supposed to feel like your knee feels. You just don't know that. 
And I thought, that's true. I've forgotten what a healthy knee is supposed to feel like. I think that's true of my soul. I think it's true of uh, me emotionally. You have no idea what it would be like to be completely whole. You know, I think of, when I think of brokenness being healed in heaven, I always think of big brokenness. Like the, the hurt of my little brother dying, my parents dying, of somebody who's crippled, all of a sudden being able to walk and dance and all that. That's what I've always had. But this week I was thinking, what about the thousands of little cracks that have happened inside of my soul? Every comment that has ever been made that hurt me, right? Every, do you know what it would be like to feel just for a moment to have no anxiety, no fear, no insecurity, no shame, no guilt, it would be astounding. That's what's promised, is that one day, every bit of brokenness inside and outside of you, no matter how big, no matter how small, all things will be made new. You will be made new. And then look what he says at the end of the verse. He says, uh, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's God taking a not-so-subtle shot at why there's brokenness in our world, why there's brokenness inside of you. Because all the brokenness that ever has been and is right now was started in Genesis chapter 3. God had placed Adam and Eve in a garden. He gave them hundreds of fruit trees. You can have all the fruit you want. Every tree is yours except for one tree. One tree, that's my tree. Don't eat from that tree. And then Satan came in and tempted Adam and Eve. And the way that Satan tempted them was this. His word is not trustworthy and true. You should eat. He doesn't want what's best for you. And what God is saying in Revelation is you started all the brokenness by thinking I wasn't trustworthy and true. I will heal all your brokenness because I am trustworthy and true. And for the first time, we will trust God fully. We will see him in all of his glory and goodness and beauty and power. And we will say, I am yours. That's the first thing. Heaven is a place where all brokenness that you have ever felt the brokenness you feel right now will finally be fully healed. The second thing that John tells us is that all thirst will finally be fully quenched. This is verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You know, whenever I think of thirst, uh, when I think about the Bible, I always think of two passages, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament is from the book of Jeremiah. It's from chapter 2, and for some reason, this has just stuck with me over the years. And this is God speaking, and this is what it says. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar, and examine with care. See if there has been any such thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. This is it. For my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern was like a hole, and you would coat the, the hole with, uh, with clay. And then when the water, would, when the rain would come, the, they would sit. In the best case scenario, that's like stagnant water. But here, God paints the picture of him being a fountain of living water gushing up and us walking away from that and trying to drink out of a cistern that has cracks in it and the water keeps draining. We keep going back thirsty and thirstier. That's Jeremiah's version of when I use the, the bicycle wheel. That we, we spend our lives looking at different things that we think will actually fill us up. Whether it's our family or our children or our friends or our career or success or what people think of us. And we keep going back. And the reason that we are so insecure and so thirsty, we keep going back to that sister and a broken, instead of God saying, if you just come to me, just come to me. And the other passage in the New Testament is John chapter 4, where Jesus is at a well outside of a town in Samaria. And a woman comes out to draw water from the well. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And then Jesus says to her, if you would only ask me, I would give you living water, which would spring up inside of you. You'd never be thirsty again. And she's understandably confused because she's still thinking about physical thirst. And then Jesus says, go, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you've rightly spoken, for you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. What's he saying? He's saying, you're so thirsty, right? Your heart almost breaks for this woman. He's saying, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. You're dying of thirst. If you just ask me, come to me. Here's the question. What are you really thirsty for? What is it that you long for? What, what do you look for your children to give you or your success to give you, your career? To, what is it? Is it, is it love? For somebody to really know you and still love you? Is it security? Somebody who will keep you safe and never let you go? Is it worth somebody who says you are precious in my eyes? Is it purpose? Whatever it is, whatever is your deepest thirst. John says the time is coming, the world is coming, where God himself will quench your thirst. And then he says this, and it's free. And it's free, without cost. And the reason it's free is because Jesus paid that tab. So when John is giving people hope, he says, this is what I saw when God gave me this vision. I saw a world that's coming where all your brokenness will one day be fully healed. All your thirst, what you really long for, will finally be fully quenched. And finally, all evil will finally be fully judged. This is what he says, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's a verse about judgment. It's a verse about justice. Uh, justice, in a very simple definition, justice is love spread out. It's love spread out equally among them. If you, have, if you have two children and you give them both a piece of candy and then one of your children grabs the other child's candy and grabs it away from them, you're going to hear about it. 
right? The, the candyless child's going to cry out. She will wail. She will say, Mommy, Daddy, look, he took my candy. What she's saying is, do something. Do you see? Make it right. Show me you love me, right? And if you're a parent, you've ever had that happen, you know the clock's ticking, right? You only have a certain amount of time to respond or your candyless child's going to take justice into her own hands and then you have a mess, right? Because that's the human way, is that every person here, all of us, we long for justice. You know, the movies that Denzel Washington, Keanu Reeves, the old Clint Eastwood, Liam Neeson, they have made a living tapping into the desire for justice that every human being has. You have it too. There's a, a theologian named Miroslav Volf. He's from Croatia. Miroslav Volf, it's a great name. Uh, he says this. He says, uh, to not believe in hell or the ultimate justice of God is the luxury of people who live in quiet suburbs. To not believe in hell or the ultimate justice of God is the luxury of people who live in quiet suburbs. And then he goes on to say, when you have seen homes burned, when you have seen your loved ones murdered and raped, you long for the justice of God. Then he says this. He says, the only thing that keeps me as a Croatian from taking justice into my own hands and living at peace on earth is that God will one day make everything right. God will one day make everything right. God watches. God sees all that we do to each other. And he says one day justice will happen. But here's the hope. Here's the hope. David Brickner uh, is the president of Jews for Jesus. I saw him on uh, Larry King Live one time. And Larry King asked him a question that no one wants to have somebody ask them directly, and especially not on TV. But Larry King said to David Brickner, so David, are you saying that I'm going to go to hell? And David had the most brilliant response. He said this. He said, Larry, this is what I know. I know Jesus Christ paid for my sin. I don't know who's going to pay for yours. And what he was saying to Larry is, you know, Larry, you know that one day every sin's going to be paid for. Someone has to pay. For me, it's Jesus. I don't know who it's going to be for you. Listen, this is the truth. This is what uh, John gave, God gave John. John gave to the Christians at the time and to all of us. This is the hope that we have when life gets hard because we are hope-shaped creatures. That one day, because of what Jesus did for us, because he lived in our place and died in our place and resurrected, that there's a world coming. And in that world that is coming, all the brokenness that you experience deep down will one day be fully healed. 
all the thirst that you have deep down will one day be fully quenched. And all the evil that has ever happened will one day be fully judged. And what I tell you today is let that hope shape how you experience this day. Remember, remember. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I come to you and I am uh, so, so grateful. I'm grateful that you are uh, a God that loved us enough uh, to give us a glimpse of the world that is to come. You created us to be uh, hope-shaped creatures. And then you gave us this great hope. Thank you. Thanks for loving us by sending us Jesus. Thanks for loving us to giving and giving us this vision of what is to come. I pray you will fill all of us with hope, particularly those who are going through a difficult time right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.